Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we have the honor of having Patricia Sullivan Chris with us. She began her career as a special education teacher in rural Maryland 40 years ago. Subsequently, Patricia returned to her native Long Island, continuing her teaching career in Rockland Center before becoming an assistant principal in the William Floyd School District. She then served the Carl Play School District for 13 years as an elementary principal and assistant superintendent of schools, during which time she was the president of the Nassau Association of District Curriculum Officials. Her central office career continued in Plainview Old Bethpage, where she worked for six years as an assistant deputy superintendent before venturing to Suffolk County to serve in the Hopog School District for nine and a half years as its superintendent of schools. She is currently superintendent of the West Hempstead Union Free School District in Nassau County on Long Island. She is active in the New York State Council of School Superintendents, serving this year as the president of the association. She is also the legislative co-chair for the New York State Council of School Superintendents and a member of the steering committee for the council's women's initiative, Supporting Women in Leadership. She has been supported in her career by her husband, Steve, who is also an educator, having served as an elementary school principal for 20 years. Together, they have raised four wonderful children, Joellen, Kieran, Daniel, and Emma. They are proud grandparents to two-year-old Jack. So welcome, Patricia Sullivan. Chris, how are you? Um, very well, thank you. Well, we are happy to have you on our podcast. So as you know, this podcast takes us on a journey to master leadership. And we want to do that today by asking you key questions. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I certainly am. We're so excited. So can you share a little bit about your leadership journey? Certainly. And I think that my leadership journey really started out prior to what you would call a traditional leadership position in education. My leadership journey probably began as far back as when I was a high school student. And somehow I always gravitated to being a person willing to take on extra responsibilities, to organize things, and to lead the way. Um, whether it be through my experiences on the yearbook or in athletics, whatever it was, I've just always been the kind of person who really takes joy in helping people get to a place where they didn't think they could go. My background is that I'm a special educator. Yes, I was trained in special education uh, way back when, really only a few years after the 94-142 law was enacted. Mm -hmm. So um, maybe a pioneer special educator. And I, I did, that law. <laughs> yeah. and I did teach in Maryland and in Rockville Center. It was during that time in Rockville Center that I was 
recognized believe from my leadership and asked to come into the central office to work on what was then a desegregation plan that the Rockville Center School District was under. Now with Bill Johnson? Bill Johnson was my colleague. Mm -hmm. He was the newly appointed director of pupil personnel services. As you know, he's now the superintendent for many, many years in Rockville Center. And so we worked together to run curriculum councils, to plan a middle school uh, which didn't exist, they used to have junior highs, mm. to do really very forward-thinking work. Following that, I did return to the classroom and teach, going to the middle school level. So my teaching experience in special ed was from kindergarten through eighth grade. During that time, I pursued my master's in educational leadership, in great part with the encouragement of my father, who always uh, wanted to push his children to do more, to do whatever it is you're capable of. And then from there, I had a very traditional path in terms of leadership. I became an assistant principal at an elementary school, uh, moved up to a principal of an elementary school, which I did for 12 years. Then I became an assistant superintendent for pupil personnel services and curriculum that went from the building into central office. And um, I was also a deputy superintendent mm -hmm. in a Long Island district before becoming a superintendent in the Hopog School District, which I did for nine and a half years. And now I'm just honored to be here as the superintendent in West Hempstead. That's wonderful. And you've been here for how long? I just started in July, July first. Well, so congratulations. Thank you. So I'm still very much in in a learner mode. Mm -hmm. Learning so tell me what about that looks the district. Like. When you come into a new district, what does that look like? What do you do? How do you learn? The short answer to that is you listen to everybody and you listen to the walls too. And what I mean by that is that everything that happens in a district has a story. It has a background. It's important for you to know it and to understand it. The way I began here was scheduling meetings with every administrator in the district, every board member individually, uh, PTA presidents. I just today came back from visiting the Hebrew Academy of Nassau County, which is a school within our district. Um, I've been to the Catholic school, St. Thomas, within the district. And you meet people, and you talk to them, and you ask them very simple questions. What are you most proud of that we do for our students and with our community? And the way I frame my second question is, if you had a magic wand and money was no issue, facilities were no issue, where is it you believe we need to go? What is it you would want to do for the children you serve? Those are great questions. Well, it brings forth an awful lot of information and it gives you great insight into the people of the district and who they are and how they feel and what they perceive the needs to be of the district. So that's the stage that I've been in. Uh, it's a wonderful stage. It's a great learning opportunity. And I don't believe that you can really implement change in a district unless you feel what the district is all about. I know that sometimes new administrators to a district can be criticized for reinventing something they did in a previous district. You've heard it before, I'm sure. Oh, the new superintendent's going to bring this math program or this IB program or whatever it may it be. A, a lot of anxiety and fear. When right. They, people think you're going to recreate what you've already done. My view is polar opposite of that. Every district is unique. 
Every district has its own culture. Every district serves different types of communities. And you need to know it and feel it before you can make recommendations in working with the school board to say, here's where I think we may want to go. Here's a vision we may want to lay out for the future. Well, That's very wise. Okay, thank you for sharing that. How would you describe your leadership style? I would say to you that I work very hard to be a listener. Sometimes that's difficult in that you have certain experiences where when you listen to someone, you want to just naturally provide your insight or your thoughts. Um, As long as that's done in a way that's more conversational and not authoritative, I think that works because I think as much as I believe I have a leadership style, I know that the people that I'm now working with are kind of in an exploring phase about me as well, trying to determine who I am what my belief system is, what is it I value in education. Mm -hmm. So I would say to you that I believe I'm a listener. I do try to work collaboratively in terms of teachers, administrators, and the greater community. There are times as a superintendent of schools, you're faced with decisions that you need to make that people may not think are particularly collaborative because maybe you didn't go the route that they were hoping you would go, but that's part of the job. The collaboration part is the talking, the working it through, the getting their input and their feedback. I would say to you that I am definitely a person who's interested in innovation. I love that word. and, (laughs) And change, not for the sake of change. Change for the sake of making things better for our students. I distinctly am a leader who believes that a system that is not improving is a system that's declining. There is no such thing as being stagnant in education. There shouldn't be. No, there shouldn't be. If you're stagnant, you're declining. There is is such a thing, but there shouldn't be. You're right. Correct. There shouldn't be. I truly believe that in public education, we're hired by communities to help them do the best by their children. And I, in many ways, believe we are public servants. That's, That's absolutely right. That is our job. And we're blessed. We are so blessed to be administrators, teachers, support staff who work in the public schools, uh, particularly here on Long Island. We have a great public school system Mm -hmm. in the state of New York, but on Long Island in particular. And I think we always need to keep in mind that we're hired by the community for the community. So that might tell you a little bit about my leadership style if you look through that kind of a comment. Like a serving leadership. A servant leadership? Yeah, we are. That's what we are. We bear the responsibility of decisions that are made, but no decision should be made based on what's best for us. It should be made best on what works for kids. So you said a word that I love, innovation. Mm -hmm. Um, Tell me about that. What does that mean to you? And what do you mean as far as implementing innovation? When I think of the word innovation, what I'm referring to, let me talk about a high school setting. Okay. You can walk into a high school that is a comprehensive high school. And what does that mean? That means that they offer a program that meets the criteria for students to receive a diploma in the state of New York, a distinction level basic diploma, whatever it may be. And generally, they will offer AP classes, they will offer enrichment opportunities, certainly support opportunities for students. But when I talk about innovation, does that high school 
and does that staff have a vision for where they want to go? Do they know what their mission is? And are they happy providing the same program year after year after year to their students when the reality is the world around us is changing? And we need to be in tune with that. So we need to be innovators. We need to look at our program. We need to look at what's going on. What's the world our students will be entering, even as they go off to high school or maybe careers? And are we really preparing them for that? And if we don't have a full program that prepares them for that, then it's time for us to innovate. And when I say innovate, many school systems do not have the financial resources right now to just add programs, particularly with the 2% tax cap, which as we all know is not even 2%. It's difficult. So the innovative part becomes, if you want to provide a new opportunity for your children that you know they need and they will benefit from, how are you going to be able to do that with the financial resources that you have? You need to be able to look at the whole picture and say to yourself, hmm, maybe we can swap from one area to another area. Maybe we can restructure things. But there have to be ways that are innovative that we can utilize to provide for our students what needs to be provided. So innovation is not just taking a canned program and bringing it in and saying, okay, now we're going to offer this. Innovation is understanding what the needs are and figuring out a way to provide it within the means of the district. If you think of innovation as well, it may require us listening to the students, right? Because there's a lot they can teach us about innovation. When I think of innovation and moving forward, Mm -hmm. as far as technology. Our students, they're on the ground, if you will. So not only in terms of program and things that they need, personal financial literacy, uh, technology applications, but I think they also are our best resources in terms of understanding the culture of what the school really is because our students interact on a daily basis they understand where the needs are in terms of um, social emotional programs that we need to implement they also understand the needs of extracurricular and what it is that our kids really want Mm -hmm. you know sometimes we do the same old same old and maybe it's not really where our, our children are right now. So I think, yeah, student voice is critical. I have yet to begin anything like that here in West Hempstead, but one of the items on my to-do list is to have a superintendent student council where you can dialogue a few times a year to sit down and say with members that represent, for instance, all the grade levels at the high school and then even the middle school, what's on your mind? What is it? you think we're doing well? What is it you think we need to improve upon? And that is critical information to have. That's great because you're providing a platform for their voice. Mm -hmm. You're providing a place that's safe to do that. Right. Which is paramount to expression. Yes. That's fantastic. I love that. Pat, is there a quote or quotes about leadership that speak to you? There is a quote that speaks to me. Well, actually, there are two. And I can't even tell you who they're from. Something that has been passed along to me in my years. And one of them goes along the lines of, leadership is not about bringing people to a place where they want to go. Leadership is about bringing people to a place that they never dreamed was possible. The first part of that quote 
is really about being a manager and not a leader. And true leadership goes well beyond managing. It goes beyond managing a district, managing a school. It's about bringing people to places that they didn't dream was possible. And ultimately, you get there and it makes them feel amazing. The other quote that I just want to interject here, which is much more of a daily kind of a thing. You know, in education, we often deal with problems. A little bit. A little bit. A little bit. You know, whether it be a parental concern or a student concern or staff concern, you know, whatever it may be. And sometimes the approach that people come to us with is less than desirable. It's not a discourse. It's people who are upset. And therefore... Maybe there's history as well. And there's an anger there. So the one thing I always share with people that I work with is don't be put off by the presence of the person. What you need to do is find the kernel of truth in every discussion that you have with someone. Because although very often the generalized concern may be unfounded and you you want to explain why, somewhere inside of everything that people say to us, I believe is a kernel of truth. I believe that once you find that and you can validate the person who's concerned or hasn't upset, you've allowed them to kind of work with you because you've brought to them an understanding that you understand what they're thinking. So that's the other quote that I keep in my mind, which is... So can we go back to the first quote? Can you say it again? Because I love it, and I'm going to look it up. But can you say it again? I'm going to say it again in my own words. Leadership is not about bringing people to a place where they want to go. Leadership is about bringing people to a place that they never dreamed was possible. I love that. Now, as a leader... Well, let's go back to what we spoke about before. When you ask people what their dream is and where it is they feel we should go, I think that as a leader, you need to always have that in the back of your mind. Never let it kind of fall off the table. Because once you get that kind of input, you have a general understanding of the system and and where it is people want to go. So you take that and you step it up a notch and say, gee, if this is where they want to go, let's talk about how much further we can go in implementing this. I'll give you a bit of an example. In my previous district, there was great pride at the high school level in AP courses and the numbers of AP courses that were there. Great opportunities for kids. That was something that they dreamt about and were able to implement. Where they didn't think they could ever go, was something as comprehensive as the International Baccalaureate program. And they didn't think they could because of financial resources, because of staffing, uh, because of professional development, curriculum writing, all the things that were embedded with, with a change such as that. So we put together a committee of teachers and administrators and said, look, we're proud of where we are, but where else can we go? And we allowed them the time and the opportunity to explore a program such as the International Baccalaureate, to be able to get some basic training to understand it, and to find out from them if it was recommended that we go in that direction. The teachers that were on the committee embraced it, and they became the ambassadors to the other teachers, to the public, and to the school board 
about how excited they were. Wow, this is an opportunity to have a more comprehensive approach to providing a program of rigor than an AP, which is really specific to classes. It's not a comprehensive approach. They became the ambassadors. They never thought they could get there. And guess what? We got there. From my perspective, I had to facilitate it by working out the budgetary piece. And it goes back to your innovation. How were we able to do it with existing resources? And we were. Working with my business official, we were able to to figure out how we could do it, and we implemented it. And it, you know, it is now a source of pride. And actually, um, when the rankings come out for high schools, which I'm not totally a fan of the rankings because a lot of it's based on numbers of AP and IB courses, but certainly that's a high school that is recognized now because of the vast opportunities they are able to provide in higher level courses for their students. You know, I picture you just looking at them and saying, I wonder if, you know, and then just, just a question opens up possibilities um, mm-hmm. to innovation, to thinking beyond where they can go. It seems that you value those around you in a, in a deep way, and that's honorable. Well, thank you, but it goes back to my comment. The system is not about Pat Chris, the superintendent. The system is about those we serve and the people you're working with because no leader is going to be able to accomplish anything without the support from the people with whom they work. Tell us what type of leader are you inspired by and why? I would say to you that I am inspired by leaders who are intelligent but use their intelligence really in a reflective way. There are a lot of very bright people in our business. But the people who inspire me are the ones who can sit back and reflect upon things, not overreact, but yet be in the arena, if you will. You you know the Teddy Roosevelt quote, don't be the person that's standing outside being critical of everything that's going on. Be the kind of person, if you really want to implement change and affect things for children that are positive, You need to be in the arena. You need to understand the issues, and you need to be able to express those issues in a very understandable way for all. Because, you know, in a very real way as superintendents, not only do we have our school districts that we're working with, but if we're going to affect change, we need to go beyond the local level. We need to go to the state and the federal level, and we need to understand how to advocate. So the leaders that I'm most impressed with are the ones who really take the time to understand the issues and reflect upon them and be able to express very succinctly what it is we need to do on behalf of children. They're great communicators. And the other thing I need to throw in there, though, is they're very practical people who know how to get things accomplished. Let's talk a little bit about that because... I get sometimes that there are leaders that are very visionary, Mm -hmm. but don't give you the how, or at least some kind of direction, right? It's all about vision. So is that what you're talking about, someone who's who's not only visionary, but also helps you to get there? There are great orators in any field, very well-studied, very well-versed, and I respect that. But I think I respect more so those people who can roll up their sleeves and down to the nitty-gritty. you got it. And work with people to get the job done. 
Got it. Part of my philosophy is we only have our children for 13 years, and they don't have the opportunity to wait for another year or another year or another year until we implement something that needs to be done. They only have 13 years. So we need to know how to get the job done and do it right, do it well, but to move forward. So when you ask me which leaders I really respect, I think it's people who are able to do that. And I think it's people who are able to make decisions that even though sometimes they're not popular, can explain to people why. That's important. That's really important. Yeah. Why we need to go the way we need to go. You know, in my life, I would say to you that my father is probably the the person who's had the biggest impact in my career, always kind of pushing me to go further. And one of the things he said to me early on when I went into administration will always stay with me. And this is a man who was in the corporate world, but was also a school board member for many years. So he understood the process. And one of the things he said to me was, he used to call me Patty Ann. He said, Patty Ann, you just remember when you're in administration, if you always make everyone happy, then you're probably not doing your job. Because part of the role of an administrator is to make difficult decisions. And clearly, when you do that, it's difficult to please 100% of the people 100% of the time. So well, That's great advice from your daddy. Yes. You know, he's, he was a smart man, yes. and yes. he was definitely right. Those are tough times for administrators mm-hmm. because we're all people people, mm-hmm. and you want people to be happy, but there are times you have to make those decisions. Okay. Yeah. So I'm taking a short break to tell you about something that I'm super excited about. Some of our guests have just published a book, Quick Wins. With a combination of over 30 years of experience in behavior, leadership, and organizational improvement, authors Dr. Paul Gavoni and Manuel Rodriguez, also known as Manny, have created an efficient yet comprehensive guide for launching and accelerating school transformation. Dr. Paul Gavoni has been a popular guest on our podcast. Check out episode 26. Manny also rocked it in episode 28. The first book of its kind in education, Quick Wins, Accelerating School Transformation Through Science, Engagement, and Leadership, is not a flavor of the month program. It is an approach rooted in science. Specifically, the science of human behavior in the workplace, also known as Organizational Behavior Management, OBM. By reading Quick Wins, school leaders or any stakeholder will learn techniques for immediately engaging people in major turnarounds. These simple proven strategies will rapidly strengthen trust in leadership, drastically improve morale, and advance student achievement. Who doesn't want that? For your copy, go to lulu.com and search for Quick Wins by Manuel Rodriguez and Paul Gavoni. For more information, you can contact the authors. Paul's email is gavonip at hotmail.com and Manny's is manny at abatechnologies.com. So what's the best advice you've ever received? We may just have said I think we just said it. 
I think that was the best advice for me, especially as a young woman moving forward, because, you know, this is my 40th year in education. I've been in the business a long time. I've been an administrator for a long time. And superintendents, assistant superintendents, we all have very emotional reactions and feelings as well to people and places. And we want to do well. We want to be respected. But we have to understand that also means that we will not always be embraced. But again, if your focus is always on children and your mission and your vision is to improve what we have to offer our children then you can't go wrong. As long as that's, as long as in the final analysis, you can say this was done for the children. We spoke a little bit about collaborating. Mm -hmm. What does it mean to have a good team and how would you build one? That is a great question because teams come in all different shapes and styles, if you will. Sometimes you inherit it, most of the time. You do, you inherit a team and when you inherit the team, Very often, it's people who, as I alluded to before, are busy trying to figure you out while you're very often just being honest and candid and not realizing that they're internalizing it differently based on their past experience, that they're thinking things that aren't even close to being accurate. So when it comes to building a team, I think the first thing you need to do is create for the team predictability. And what I mean by that is that you as a leader need to be able to, on some level, be predictable to the people with whom you work. They need to understand what you value, and they need to understand with relatively good possibility how you're going to respond in situations. So the word predictability comes into play in terms of building a good team. The other thing in building a team that is so important is the people that you're working with need to trust you and feel that you're there to support them in good times and in bad. It's kind of like a marriage. As a superintendent, you're going to be working with assistant superintendents and principals who make a lot of good decisions. But every now and then, there's going to be a decision that maybe is, in your opinion, not so good and not in the best interest of the district. So that person needs to understand that even if you may appear upset with the person or you may say, whoa, that was not a good way to go, it doesn't detract from the personal relationship that you have with the person. One of the things that I think is so critical in terms of being an effective superintendent is that issues occur, you deal with them, you resolve them, and then you let everything roll off your back. People who do not have the ability to let things roll off their back when an issue is resolved, in my opinion, don't really have the ability to build a good team because we're all going to make mistakes. We just need to know that Once it's done, we're still there to support one another because it has to operate as a whole. The superintendent to me is, as I say, just another cog in the wheel. Every school system has their wheel, and it consists of administrators, custodians, secretaries, TAs, teachers. Everybody's a piece of the puzzle. And so when you talk about building a team, I think sometimes people make the mistake of not realizing that the team is all of those people. It's not just the administrators you work with. 
It's all of the people in the system. And they all need to have some kind of a sense that you're there for them and that you're going to do ultimately what's best for the system. Mm-hmm. I love that you said, you mentioned trust. Mm-hmm. I think that's one of the things that really matters most because if an administrator or a teacher can come to you and say, Pat, I really messed up, mm-hmm. then you can always correct and you can always grow from that as opposed to being afraid to or not having that relationship. Um, So I think that's a wonderful way to lead. Mm -hmm. So thank you for that. Can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it has shaped your life? Now I'll give you another little hint into me as as a person. I would say to you that maybe the biggest challenge in my life was raising four children with my husband. The reason I say it is this, not that my children are challenging. I have four, they're young adults now, wonderful children. But just like a teacher in a classroom, you know, you realize quickly that they're all very different. They have very different needs. There is not one way to raise a child. This with this one. Why didn't it work with this one? Um, So, in terms of raising my children, it really taught me so much about my job. Anyone who has their own child and then comes back to work in a school setting, you cannot help but look at the children you work with and think, oh, if it were mine, what would I want for that child? What would I be doing to help that child? I think it just, I just remember after my oldest was born. It's certainly an advantage. Well, I got my principal job when I was nine months pregnant. Yes, I was at my board appointment a week after my due date. And I I remember (laughs) it was quite an experience. (laughs) I owe a lot to the gentleman who just said, as long as you're still with us, you're a candidate. And he gave me the job. And, And I remember meeting my faculty for the first time and saying, once I held that little one in my arms, I understood so much more about what we do every day. And so you used the word challenge. It was a challenge. You know, my husband and I are both working people. He's an educator as well. And uh, we never stopped working while we raised the four children. But that challenge really transcended my family life and went into my professional life. I have an athlete. I have a musician. I have a thespian. I have an academician. They're very different. Um, So when you say, how did the challenge shape my life? Raising my children really had a profound impact on my career. And I thank them for it. My life as an educator before I was a parent and my life as an educator after are completely different in how I see things. And you're absolutely right. Going back to a previous point that we were making, it allows you to understand that parent who greets you in a less than civil way, if you will, is so upset and so frustrated. You know, as we have such an emotional bond, it's it's hard not to do that sometimes. And that's where we as educators need to step back and say, okay, I might be doing the same thing if it were mine. And we just need to understand that. That's great. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes and how it has shaped your life and the life of those around you? It's an interesting question in that there are specific things that I've been able to accomplish, implementing programs. What is one that you can think of that really sits with you? The greatest successes that you have in this career 
are those that leave systems behind that are in place that even when you're not there, allow the system to move forward. Does that make sense to you? Like a legacy. Yeah. Legacy-wise, I've been in a couple of districts where I've set things into motion that have continued. When I was a principal, I was overjoyed at a very young age, I was in my early 30s, that we were recognized as a United States Education Department School of Excellence. That was a very significant accomplishment. Um, We had applied once and didn't get it, and applied the second time, and next thing you knew, we were in Washington, D.C. When I left that school, so many of the programs and the systems that were in place continue today, but most importantly, I left the people in place because the people are the important part of a system. The people that you hired, they're your legacy to a system for a lifetime. So then when I fast forward and I think about my assistant superintendent days, there too, the legacy are the people that you hire that allow you to work with them to put systems in place that will continue. And as a superintendent, I feel I did the same thing. So. Probably my greatest successes have been establishing systems that have people embedded in them that are people that I'm incredibly proud of and know. And I know they've got the right motivation. I know they're there for the children. Mm -hmm. And that is really probably the biggest success. I could talk to you about implementing, as I did the IB program, implementing a foreign language in the elementary school program, implementing math programs, uh, restructuring middle schools, which I've also done. Those are the things that you do, but the lasting impact is in the people that are doing them. And any kind of support I could have along the way given to them to understand their ability to do, how they can fly. Go ahead and fly. Wonderful. What would you tell a new leader who's discouraged about their culture or climate? I would tell them to wake up each morning with the belief that they can do, to greet each person each day with a smile on his or her face. Do not allow the internal, which is a bit of a discouraged feeling to present itself because if you're the leader, people are looking at you every day, all day to try and get a sense of where things are going. If they see a person who is discouraged, negative, maybe even a little bit nasty sometimes, they're going to go into their rooms and close the doors. They're going to go into their own little areas and do their job but not do their job with a vision and an excitement. I think it's important as a new leader, if you are discouraged, to reach out to some of your colleagues. They're great support systems. And talk to your colleagues who have been through things that are similar. Use the resources that we have. You know, at our level, we have the New York State Council of School Superintendents. There are over seven... Of which you're a president, is that correct? Yes, correct, this year. And uh, there are over 700 of us. A lot of... uh people to tap into. There are a lot of people to tap into, a lot of good resources. And very Uh, generous, I might add. I've met many of them. Well, here in Nassau County, Mm -hmm. and I, you know, recently was in Suffolk County, a group of great colleagues, great colleagues, make use of them. If you're a curriculum person, make use of your curriculum colleagues. Don't get discouraged. Have the can-do attitude. And yet I have to say this. I think that each of us has to be realistic and understand that sometimes you may have found yourself in a system 
where you don't quite fit. Mm -hmm. Not every school system is right for every administrator. That's why we have the interview process. That's why we try and figure out people who culturally will work with the system. You know, my advice to a new person would be, be positive, understand that Rome wasn't built in a day. Take a small step, then another small step. If you find you're not taking a step one day, reach out to a colleague, somebody that you can talk to honestly and openly and not feel like it's gonna come back at you. But then understand in the final analysis, if you find that you're not happy in the job that you're in, you need to find a place of happiness. And it could mean that shift. shift to another job or another district. And that's not failure. And that's the important piece for people to understand. It's not failure. Even in industry, we know that people move, uh, people make changes. But do rely on the support of your colleagues and your friends. And do understand that small steps are okay. You mentioned a mentor, you know, getting a mentor, getting a coach. I think that's key because sometimes you're in your own way. Uh, you, said, you mentioned the negativity, right? Mm-hmm. Our negativity comes in, that negative voice that's never really positive. It comes up and it creates doubts. And so having someone on the outside who you trust, who can speak into your life is... is Look, ad- administration can be a very, very lonely job. Leadership can be very lonely. One of the blessings in my life is that I happen to have a good support system at home with a husband who shared the same field mm-hmm. and understands. And I have, as I said to you, four kids who have been very good. But don't let the loneliness get to you. Understand that there are a lot of people out there that you can reach out to who understand. They've kind of been there, quote, mm-hmm. done that. Right. And sometimes just being able to talk to somebody gets you through the discouragement. So many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. What does that mean to you and what are you learning now? To be a lifelong learner to me Mm -hmm. in the context of my job is not to be the kind of person who feels like, oh, I've done this before, so it's easy. I'll do it again. A lifelong learner is somebody who opens up their mind to different ways of thinking, different possibilities. A lifelong learner is somebody who is willing to look at a system as unique and say, gee, this is interesting. I haven't done this before, so let's figure this one out and learn what you need to learn to get what has to be done, done. On another level, one of the things that is so important if you're going to be in administration, and it kind of goes back to the discouragement question, you have to have a well-rounded life. You cannot make the job your entire life because if you do, I believe you will not be a lifelong learner and you will not be well-rounded and therefore it's going to be hard to maintain the positive aspect of life and share it with other people. I have always believed and lived by the fact that Pat Chris is not just Pat Chris, the school superintendent. There's that piece of my life. There's the family piece of my life, which I will always devote time to. And there's the community piece of my life, which I've always tried to devote time to as well. Um, And by that, I mean that, you know, we're all part of other communities, whether it be, you know, the village, the church, whatever it may be that you find a passion for. I just think it's so important, Lily, for you to maintain involvement in all of those things. Do not make your job your entire life about that because most leaders that I speak to crash and burn at this question how do you maintain that balance how do you do it you have four kids a husband you're running a school district 
How do you do it, Pat? Please tell us. <laughs> well, the the first thing is I'll tell you I do have a lot of energy. That is true. I can see that. Okay. The second thing is I clearly understand the need to be organized. So you do have to develop organizational structures in your life that say, okay, here's what I'm doing at work today from here to here. Boop, boop, boop. Oh, things will always get thrown in. You may have an emergency now and then. But this week with the family, and I used to do this with the children, we used to have a, a book which had every child and where they had to go and what they needed to do. And my husband and I would share the tasks. This is what we need to accomplish this week with the kids. And you do this piece, I'll do this piece. So you look at it and, a week at a time? Well, sometimes it's more than a week at a time when you know things are coming up. But I guess the short answer to your question is this. When I leave work, I leave work. Please, I understand that I may still be thinking about how do I get through something? How do I resolve it? I clearly know that I may get the phone call like I did Sunday night about a bomb scare. Those things I understand. You may be making a snow day call. I get it. But what I don't do is go home and bring all my work with me and work through the night. That's my time with my family. That's my time with my kids. If at all possible, weekends are my time with family and community. So while it may not be easy, I know. I've watched too many people crash and burn. When you speak about not doing work from home, that's near impossible, although you're doing it. It's not. That's what I want to tap into because, you know, many people in your position have a hard time and don't know how to do well, this. Well, you know, one of the things you just said triggers another thought for me. You asked about building a team before. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to build a team that you trust, that it doesn't always have to be you, 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 that you can ask a team member to pick up the piece for you. There's a meeting that you really would like to go to for the school district on a particular night, but your kid at home is also in a school play. Who are you gonna tap into on the work front who can help you out and say, will you be my representative for this because I really need to do this? And a gentleman that I worked with years ago taught me this. He was the superintendent, I was the deputy. He made it clear from the beginning with the school board that his children were important as well. And there were times that maybe you couldn't fulfill some of the things that the board would love you to be at in the school district, but please understand I'm raising children of my own mm -hmm. as well. So maybe part of it is to establish that understanding early on about the type of administrator you're going to be because it all comes back full circle. Who did I learn from in terms of my career? I learned from my own children and raising them. So I think, though, most districts and school boards, and I'm going to say beyond most, the vast majority, will have respect for that and understand that because we're all in the same boat. That's the common and bond, children. and that's our common bond. So maybe how do you do it? You establish in the very beginning who you are, what you value, and the kinds of things that you're going to need from a school district in order to maintain the balance in your life. Does that make sense to that, you in that, some ways? It has to be valuable to you. You have mm -hmm. to see it as something that is extremely important, just like your job is important, your home life. and Right. That makes sense. Well, it makes you who you are. Yeah. And by the way, it loops back to your other previous question, which is when you get discouraged. It's important to have a family or friends that you can go home to that can pat you on the back and say, hey, come on, 
you're doing a great job. You're doing the best you can. (laughs) We all need that every now and then. So Pat, can you tell us what have you read that our listeners should read? I see a nice book there. Yes, because I anticipated you might ask something like that. First of all, I would encourage people to read the New York Times in terms of the currency of issues in education and any other, you know, education weekly, things like that. That's important. But but one of the books that I have read that I think is very well done, quick, easy read, Bowman and Deal's The Wizard and the Warrior. And it's leading with passion and power. And it talks about the idea that in many ways as a leader, you need to be a wizard. You need to be able to see what's there, to take what's there, and to use your wizardry to craft changes. But you also need to be a warrior. You need to be able to take on the challenges. You need to have the courage to lead. That's very important, the courage to lead. Yes. As I said, most people can be a manager. You can take a system and you can come in and you can sit there and make sure that the day-to-day tasks are accomplished and that the budget's in place and the personnel are in place. But is that leading? Not in my definition. Mm -hmm. If you're going to lead, you have to have the courage to understand that not everybody's going to want to follow. They're not all going to be with you. But you need to be able to articulate and have people understand who you are and why you're leading where you're leading. So Bowman and Deal, they really have a lot of other good resources as well. They did the reframing organizations and leading with soul. The part about their work that I like so much is that they don't leave out the soul. They don't leave out the importance of passion. Um, That's part of who you need to be if you're going to be an effective leader. The why you do the things you do. That's right. So thank you so much for that. There's a lot of responsibility on you. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? I think the setting of the mind for me generally occurs the night before or the Sunday before where you sit down and and you look at your week yet to come. Sometimes it occurs the week before and you, when you know things are coming on the agenda that you need to address. But it's an interesting question because I'm not sure I consider it setting my mind, uh, but maybe it is. I look at what's to come. I know what I have yet to do. I try and figure out ways to, to piece in what's not an official appointment on the calendar with the kinds of things that I need to accomplish during the week. I try to set my mind, and particularly now being new to the district, each week by saying, I'm getting into classrooms, I'm getting into schools. Mm-hmm. I have to do that. That's where the real work of a school system happens every day. And I guess I just set my mind by saying, and away we go. Here we go. Another good week. Here's what we need to accomplish. So some positive mantras. I try to be very positive. I enjoy coming to work. I can see I love what I do. I enjoy people very much. Um, So getting to meet all new people here has been just fabulous. And in terms of a mindset, I can say with certainty that I do set my mind every day with a can-do attitude. I don't see obstacles. I don't see barriers. I really don't. I see possibilities. Once I explore the possibilities, every now and then we we have a barrier. Mm -hmm. I've always been the kind of person who sees the big picture and says, no, we can do this. Maybe not exactly the way I would think initially, but working with people over time, we can do this. We can accomplish it. So 
I guess it's true to say that my mindset is always the positive can do. So, you know, Pat, I wanted to kind of tap on something that is a struggle for leaders on every level, I think. It's taking the time to take care of themselves. How important Correct. is that? Hugely important. I won't say that I haven't had my struggles in my career. Things change in districts and therefore your job changes. Um, the people you work with sometimes change. One of the things that if I could relive that I have done in the past that I don't feel as positive is I've forgotten about taking care of the physical, mental person I am because I stuck with the job, the job, the job. I didn't maintain that balance we spoke about previously. And part of that balance is to also maintain the physical person to make sure that you do maintain the exercise in some way, shape, or form, and to also maintain the person who has outside interests, things that engage you, whether it be you're going to go kayaking or whether it be you're going to go antiquing or you're going to go play a round of golf. Don't let those things fall by the wayside because that's part of who you are. And it's vitally important to keep your brain functioning in things that are outside of what you do every day. That's Um, extremely important because if you don't take care of you, then the job won't get done. And it's easy to let that happen. It is really easy to let this job become all-consuming, but it's not the best thing for you as a person. I think you find yourself getting mentally fatigued more easily when you do that, certainly physically fatigued. You do need to get that right balance in your life. So we've come to our last question. We have, okay. (laughs) If you were to go back in time, what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? If I were to go back in time, I really feel that in my years of leadership, I have been presented with some really significant challenges. But I really believe most of them have evolved in a positive way. The advice I might give myself if I were to relive what I did is probably the advice I gave earlier. I might have reached out to other colleagues more readily, especially when I was very young. I might have felt better about making mistakes if I had surrounded myself with people who said, it's okay if you make a mistake, just learn from it and move on. I think when you're young, you very much want to do everything perfectly, perfectly. And then comes a point in your life where you realize that it doesn't matter how desperately you want to do everything perfectly. In this business, that's probably not going to happen. In humanity, it doesn't happen. (laughs) Uh, Yeah. So understand and accept that sometimes you're going to make a mistake. And as long as you haven't hurt a child or another person, it's not the end of the world and that you can grow from it. And probably I would have been more accepting of that than wanting to do everything just perfectly. That's great advice. Now, is there anything that we haven't addressed that you'd like to share? There is something I would like to share. And that is one of my frustrations in this business is that I'm not so sure how valued the business is. I think that the media has done very well knocking down education in the United States today. And because of that, knocking down educators those who can't do teach, that statement that frustrates, it's a horrible, horrible, nasty statement. I would love for people to value the public school 
educational process more greatly than they do, and to have tremendous respect for administrators and teachers who really enter the process wanting to do right by our children. It happens in other countries for whatever reason. I'm not feeling like it's happening here the way it should. I think if you put people in a room, all too many people would acknowledge that they have counseled their children out of going into education for more lucrative careers rather than going into education. And I just consider education to be among the most noble professions that exist. And I wish we were valued more for that. And I also believe we're doing a very good job We educate all, we embrace all, and I think the public education system is doing very well and that too often the negative aspects are what get put out there. I guess I'd like to leave people with that thought that it's been said before, but, you know, we didn't get where we are as individuals without good, caring teachers supporting us. You go into teaching because you want to get rich. No, you don't. You go into it because you care and you believe in it and you really want to work with children. I hope that we'll see increased respect for it versus decreasing respect for public education and increasing use of charter schools and the like. I'm a public school advocate. I'm a product of it. My children are a product of it, and I'm very proud of it. Okay. Well, Pat, thank you so much for not just pouring into my life, but pouring into the life of our listeners. Well, thank you for having me. It was very enjoyable. Hello, leaders. Don't forget to go to masterleadership.org to find out how to get a free coaching session from one of the exceptional leaders that are featured on this podcast. Until next time, bye.